It's good to come to James chapter 3. You may notice that we seem to kind of be plowing through James, and we will not be in James much longer uh, into November, and then we will be finished with James. I hope that you are enjoying our time together in this book, and I hope that you're taking the opportunities during the week to read ahead and, and to read back as well to what we have studied together here in this book. Today we're looking in James chapter 3, starting in verse 1, and we'll go through verse 12, and we're looking at the unruly tongue, the unruly tongue. So if you're taking notes, you may want to write that at the top. If you need a Bible, reach out in front of you there. There should be a pew Bible in front of you or down the way, and you can turn with us to page 1012, and there we will be at James chapter 3. And so our first point today is we're looking at the unruly tongue is this. The more the unruly tongue is involved, the greater opportunity there is for sin. So let's look and see how this is true. Verse 1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. When we read this verse, at first glance, it appears to be a discouraging word from James to all of those who aspire to teach. And, and when we look in history and we look at present day, there's never seemed to be an overage of teachers, especially within the church, of people who are just desiring to teach, to just get out there and go for it. Many times you have to go on the hunt to get someone to teach a small group or uh, to come and, and speak before a crowd of people. So why not encourage more people to teach? Why does he seem to be discouraging people? Well, one, James is not trying to discourage others from becoming teachers, but instead to warn anyone who desires to teach of the great responsibility that comes with standing in front of others and teaching God's word. And with this, I am grateful for the men in my life when I was a teenager and I was wrestling through some things in my life and I was thinking, okay, God, what, what are you doing right now? I thought I was on this course. It seems to be altered now. Where am I headed? And I began to have this desire to want to pastor. I was 15 years old. I, I didn't know what it meant to be a pastor. I didn't know what it was like to get up and preach. I mean, I'd shared a, a testimony from youth camp one time, so I thought I had maybe a little experience. But I didn't know to the full extent of where God was leading me. And when I sat down with my pastor and I said, I think God is calling me to preach. And, and I don't know. I mean, I just feel this heavy in my heart that this is what I want to do the rest of my life. And I'm thankful for his counsel. I'm thankful for the time that he spent with me to make sure that my motives were pure, that I was not pursuing this in order to stand up before people and to be recognized by everyone. And everyone would look into my life and go, that's a good person right there. That's a man who has his life together but that I would do it for the glory of God and that I would not apologize for what I preach and that even when I preach, if it offends, I will still lovingly move forward. I'm grateful for that encouragement. And I think that's what James is offering here in James chapter three to teachers because with church growth came the need to have more teachers and the church was growing. The church had been spread out due to persecution. We've looked at that already. But although the church is growing, there must be quality teachers with the right mindset, that they're not doing it with selfish intentions. And so think of it in its context, as James is writing. I mean, teachers in the first century would have had 
a great prestige among their peers because many people in society could not read. And so for the very fact that you're standing in front of people and that you're reading the scripture meant a great deal. People will look to you and go, that is an educated person. Wow, they are truly advanced. But not only that, but there were many in lower classes who lacked opportunities for advancement and status, feeling that they would never get to that level of the person standing in front of them teaching. So James wanted to be very careful, very cautious, and put the warning out there that you shouldn't just desire to teach in order to be up in front or to be heard. Because it's also possible to enter into the ministry of teaching with selfish motives. There are many pastors out there. There are many people who teach uh, Sunday school classes, community groups, small group, uh, accountability. They, they love being able to say, I disciple somebody, and they have the wrong intentions. There are many men and women who pursue ministry in the local church because it's easy work. And indeed, sadly, it, it, it appears to be easy for them because not much is being done. And so clearly understand there are many people who can pursue work in the local church with bad motives. Many men who want to stand before people in order just to be recognized or to hear themselves speak. And I can honestly tell you this, I don't like hearing myself speak. I go back and listen to the recording. Some of you are saying, hey, I listen to the podcast. Thank you so much for putting that up. And I'm like, yeah, I wish they didn't because I, I just can't stand my voice. It's like hearing yourself over again. It's, it's just, it's excruciating for me. I'm glad God has given you an appetite for it, or so we hope. But the applause and appreciation shown from an audience can be uh, something that someone craves. They, they want it more, and they want it more. They love standing in the back and just being told what a, a good job they're doing. And I mean, it's an addiction. And if they're away from it, they crave it. They want it again, and they can't stand if, if somebody else gets that. You, you, you see where we're going here? I mean, these motives can be deep within the hearts of the teacher. Back in college, we went to a conference called Passion Conference and went with a few friends and Louis Giglio was one of the main speakers. He's very gifted, he's very trendy. He's a great uh, man of uh, dress, okay? Uh, design, fashion, and, and so he comes up, he just looks cool. But you know, I'm grateful for many messages that he has I've preached before an audience, uh, his indescribable message when he looks out into space and saying, look what all, I mean, that's incredible, indescribable. But when we were looking at Louis, one of my buddies after the conference, he said, you know what, man, I want to, I want to do what he does. I want to be like Louis Giglio one day. And I said, why? Like, why, why would you possibly want to do what he does? He says, because man, look at the influence that he has on all these people. I want to do that. And my question for him was this, hey, do you mean you want to stand on that stage? You want all those lights on you? You want people to hear your voice? You want people, when you walk out, go, oh man, look at the skinny jeans he's got on. It looks awesome. I mean, is that the attention you want? You want that? Or do you want his life behind the scenes? Because I guarantee you, his life behind the scenes is not easy. There's no telling what type of temptation comes his way. What type of struggles he faces, all the planning that it takes for this to happen. Is that what you want? Do you want the spotlight or do you want the whole thing? And that's what James is saying, man, do you just want the spotlight or do you want everything that is included? 
Because although prestige is a battle for anyone who teaches, James appears to be focusing on something even more pressing. He's not just talking about the prestige, he's talking about your words. He says, your words are important. You will have a stricter judgment. So if, if it's not about prestige of having stricter judgment, then why do we have a stricter judgment being teachers? See, just because you're a teacher doesn't mean that you are of higher quality, higher status. And because you are, that means you are going to have a stricter judgment before God. I do not believe that's what James is saying. He's referencing the words that are spoken. That's where the stricter judgment comes. Words have the power to sway people in the wrong direction. You listen, you get caught up, you're wowed by their enthusiasm, the charisma, but yet what they're saying can sway you in the wrong direction. Our speech involves the tongue, which is the hardest of all parts to control, which exposes the teacher to a greater danger of judgment. Why? Because the more the tongue is involved, the greater opportunity there is for sin. You're using your instrument more. It's being broadcast. It's being received. Is what's being received true? There's a greater sense of judgment to come for those who are not speaking the truth. And so I want to pause here and say, please pray for me and for our pastors. Please pray often for us and pray for our teachers in this building. Please pray for the one who, who every week prepares their lesson in the midst of their busy schedule. I just want to say thank you to all of you who teach a community group, that, that the time that you put into it, and then you come here and you teach classes. Pray for your teachers. Don't forget them because they fall into this as well. We don't want to just have a chat session. I mean, we really want to come around together around Christ, around his word so that we can be transformed. And there's great accountability to this teaching. We need your prayers. And you can pray something like this. May they just preach with integrity. May they live with integrity. May they read your word and enjoy your word. May they soak it up for themselves. When they, when they read your word, may they not just read it and, and thinking through the lens of how can I teach other people, but may they be taught by your word. Pray those things for us. We need you to pray for us. Jesus pointed out in Matthew 23, starting in verse 5, he says, uh, speaking of the Pharisees and the religious teachers, he says, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. Pray that that's not us. And pray that that's not you. That all of your deeds are just for the purpose of every, everyone else saying, hey, good job, man. Wait, way to go. You I mean, you nailed it point after point. Way to go. No, not to be seen by others, but to glorify the Father in our preaching. Verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. I love how James just puts it all out there. He says, we all stumble with this. We all. He, he's not just pointing at everyone else saying, yeah, you guys struggle with this, not me. No, I'm pure in all of my teaching and all of my motives. There's not a day where I have a bad motive when I'm going into teaching. No, he says, we all stumble in many ways. There are many different sins in which we all struggle with. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. 
Now, if we stop right there, you're going, why do we even have a message on this? Because we're already being told we can't do it. And the truth is you can't. You cannot bridle your tongue. You cannot control your tongue. Oh, my cute little daughter. Man, she is, I mean, my goodness, she's cute. I'm telling you. And yes, I'm biased, all right? And she's turning two here next week. And she's discovered that little tongue. And I mean, and she just makes all these cute little noises. And it's just so uh, precious. And I'm like, hey, Curry, listen to her do this and listen to her do that. She's like, yeah, yeah, she's been doing that for days, Brian. And I'm like, no, no, it's, it's awesome. But yet... There's going to come a time when words and more words and more words start coming from that tongue, and they're not going to be so cute. I'm going to go, what, what happened to my precious little girl? Why is she saying these things? Why would she ever do that? How could that even be in her? Because it's in all of us. It's in all of us. We cannot bridle this tongue. We cannot control it. So he does not hide the fact that Christians stumble in a multitude of ways. Everyone will stumble along the way with something that they say. If I were to ask you this question, has there ever been something told to you that you've hung on to that just hurts badly? And you say, yeah, yeah, there's, I can point to a time elementary school or I can point to a time back in high school or yeah, I can point to a time last week something was told to me that hurts. And then I'll ask you another question. Have you ever said something to someone else that hurt them deeply? Yes, yes, it has happened. All of us have fallen to this. We have used our tongues for destruction. If we deny this, if we deny this, if you're sitting in your seat and you're saying, oh no, actually my tongue is wonderful, then you are denying this, that we need Christ, that we need Christ, because you are then putting yourself on equal footing with Jesus Christ. And the only perfect man to ever walk on this earth was Jesus. He could bridle his tongue, we cannot. You say, but you don't understand my situation. You don't understand what I was going through. Well, we can play that out and whatever you want to, but I guarantee you, it does not match this situation I'm about to read to you. Whatever your deal is, whatever you struggle with, where you just couldn't keep a tight rein on your tongue and you just had to let it fly, man. You just had to let them have it. Man, you were feeling it and you were liking it, man. You were, you were enjoying it. And you say, you don't understand the situation, man. They asked for it. They had it coming to them. Let me give you this situation. What about going to the cross? What about being spat on? What about being mocked when you created all of them? And they're looking to you and they're mocking you and saying, do something about it. Won't you do something? And we're reading it and saying, man, tell them you created them. And you crush them, man, for all of eternity. Tell them, Jesus. Now he didn't say a word. And then he goes and he's put up against a post and he's, he's beaten and he's torn open. Organs is exposed and then he's put on a cross. And yet he's got one chump over to his left side who was saying, hey, you can't do anything. And the other one was saying, yeah, I want to be with you in paradise. Even the man who's being hung next to him in the same situation still doesn't want Jesus. And then all the crowd, they're saying, hey, won't you, won't you bring yourself down now, huh? You're so great, won't you just come off that cross? I want you to call down some angels. Won't you do that? And he remains silent. How about that situation? Any, anything you face lately that compares to that? No. No, nothing we face compares to that. And yet, this is what Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 22 and 23. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued 
entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Don't you love that? Jesus continued because he knows that it's God who is just, God his Father. He continued to do his Father's will, even knowing that he'd have all of his creation mocking him. Tight rent on the tongue because it's God the Father who justifies. And see, that's why we have trouble with our tongues because we want to justify ourselves. We can't have people talking about us. We can't have people doing wrong to us. We got to justify our position. And understand there are times when you need to stand up and do what is right, but you need to do what is right in the eyes of God, not in your own eyes. Because that's where that tongue begins to create massive destruction. Every day, you need the perfect man in your life because only through Jesus is it possible to control the tongue. You need Jesus for eternal life and you need Jesus for your tongue. That's what he's saying. So number two, if we say, well, if, if this is what we were to ask, is the tongue really tough to wrangle? I mean, come on, it's, it's a small muscular organ. Well, let's hear what scripture has to say about it. Point number two, the unruly tongue may not, or the unruly tongue may be small, but no human on earth can control it. Verses three through eight, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. So let's break that down. He points out the horse and the bit, the bit that goes in the horse's mouth and, and then the ship with the, the rudder, this, this huge ship with a small little rudder that should guiding the ship. He, he's using small items that control massive objects. That's, that's his illustration here, which are used to overcome contrary forces. And so one, the wild nature of the horse, the bit controls the horse, or the other, the mighty winds of the seas. And yet the rudder is there to guide in the midst of the huge waves. This is a positive this is a positive thing that he's pointing out here for us. Christians have an old nature that is trying to wreak havoc on the body and the tongue guided by Christ can actually do good. It can navigate through those trials of the old nature, reminding us that we are a new nature and that we can speak as one who has a, a new nature in Christ Jesus, a new creation in Christ Jesus. So the tongue can guide the body to safety. That's what we desire, that's what we want. The tongue can be used for spreading the wonderful news about Jesus Christ, our savior. 
So we don't need to hear this and just go, oh, the tongue is bad. I just don't need to say anything. No, we need to say a lot, but we need it to be good. And so how is that made possible? It's made possible when Christ reigns our tongue. Romans 10, 14, and 15, and then verse 17. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? It is necessary that we preach. It is necessary that we go and teach. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And how is it written? Or as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So that means that we can use these tongues for good so that people can hear and repent, believe. You see, most evangelism takes time many appointments. It's a continued faithful witness. Nothing wrong with uh, street evangelism. Street evangelism is needed. But I was, as I was meeting with the deacons this morning, uh, one way I, I encouraged them and challenged them is I said, men, evangelism takes time. And the majority of your life, you're just going to be spending it planting, scattering seed. That's what you're going to be doing. Many conversations about Jesus But to the ones who follow Christ many times, those are multiple appointments, multiple times of them hearing about Jesus. I mean, there's been some who have said it takes a person 17 times to hear the name of Jesus to finally repent. It's been known that those who are of the Mormon faith, that if they are to repent and follow the true Christ and be a part of the true church, which Christ shed his blood for, that it takes about five to seven years to come out of all that false teaching to come to the truth on average. And although those are great statistics, we know at any moment a person can be saved by the grace of God. But yet we must use our tongues to preach the gospel because with God's goodness and his grace, it is matched with our faithfulness in sharing the good news. And so be encouraged If you've been sharing the gospel with someone and they haven't repented yet and you think, I'm just a failure at this, I'm just really bad at this, continue sharing. Continue to be patient. The tongue will be used every time. Your tongue will be examined. Bearing a faithful witness means you will face difficult situations. And so may your tongue guide the horse and steer the ship for the glory of God. Not for its own glory, because if a horse wins the triple crown or a yacht wins the American Cup, the one thing that does not get credit is the bit or the rudder. Oh, man, we have an amazing rudder back here. You should see it. It's what it was. No, they're, they're talking to the pilot, the captain. Same with Christians. Our tongues are instruments for the glory of God, never to claim credit for the victory. You may be an amazing teacher, but God gave you that tongue to speak. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, God is using you, and it's not for you to claim victory, not for you to say, hey, it's all me. No, it's all him. And so we say, but if it's not used for good, it will be used for evil. And this is true. 
If we do not use our tongues for good, indeed, naturally, it will be used for evil. And you say, you know what? I'm a quiet person. I don't really talk that much, but you do talk. And when you talk, what do you say? And what types of things do you say? Well, we, we read on. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. He's saying, you know, a fire has a little flame. It has a little flicker and when it starts, but it is capable of catastrophic damage. It can be a lightning bolt at one time, boom, that sets a forest on fire. One lightning strike, and yet now you're chasing the fire and trying to get it out. It's, it's one comment. It's one thing you could say to your kids, one thing you could say to your wife, one thing you could say around the lunch table, one thing, and boom, it spreads, and you're trying to catch up to it, and it's too fast for you. I had a buddy in seminary. We were on the way to school on a Monday, and he said, dude, I had a fire in my backyard this week. And I said, wow, that's, that's crazy. He said, no, no, it, it really was crazy. It, it spread fast to the neighbor's yard. He's, he had an acre lot, and he was just burning something in the backyard. Uh, fire began to spread, and he did not have a water hose that could reach to the fire. All he had was one of those things that you put fertilizer in for your plants or spray, a little spray bottle, pump bottle that holds about two gallons. That's all he had. And so he called, um, he had somebody call for uh, a fireman to come to help save the day. But in the meantime, he put water in this little pump and he's just pumping and he's spraying and he's trying to get this fire. He said, man, I just, the more I, I began to pump and spray, the faster it seemed to spread. And it was getting closer and closer to the neighbor's house. I was panicking. And then finally, finally, fireman shows up and they put the fire out. You see, God is gracious to come along and put fires out when we are incapable of doing it. But we need to be mindful that it just takes one boom moment right there and it can spread beyond our control and we can try to catch up to it. And it's just like us having that little pump bottle spray trying to get the fire out. It's just not going to happen. And that's what he's saying. And man, it's, it's, it's taking off. One little flicker, one little flame. And, and when we think of woods, when we think of fire, in, in woods, we think California, we think what happened in Tennessee, we think of large trees and things. But in this setting, there would have been just a bunch of um, bushes out in the distance. And so if fire were to set in those bushes, it would burn everything up rapidly. He's saying that this will take off so fast, you will never be able to catch up with it. Be careful with what you say. We receive a lot of encouragement from Proverbs. Many people say James is, is the Proverbs of the New Testament. So let's connect the two. Proverbs 10 verse 8 says, The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. This is speaking of thoughtless chatter. Who's listening to you in the background when you're talking? Who's observing your conversations? Your kids hear more than you think they hear. Coworkers hear more than you think they hear. What are they hearing come from our mouths? A babbling fool will come to ruin. Think about what you say and how you say it, when you say it. Proverbs 12:10, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. 
Lying. What is lying? It's a way of escape from accountability. We know we've done something wrong or we've been called on something, and yet we begin to tell a different story in order to escape. But it's escape is a way to destruction. Proverbs 18:12, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Here he speaks of arrogant boasting. No one likes to hear us boast. They do not. They'll go, oh, that's awesome. That's cool. But deep down, they're going, what a jerk. Nobody wants to hear you talk about how great you are. When they have a conversation with you, they don't want it to be 90% or 95% you and 5% them. They don't take joy in that. Your spouse probably doesn't love that. Or, I don't know, I can't speak for them. But be careful boasting as if we have anything in which we can take credit in of ourselves. Proverbs 10, 18 says, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips and whoever utters slander is a fool. Where's he going with this one? Gossip. Be careful of gossiping. Be careful of speaking evil of others when they're not around. Make yourself feel a little bit better. And that's a wicked truth, but it's true. Hey, I don't mean to gossip, but you know what you just said? I don't mean to gossip, but I'm gossiping. What does your dinner table look like in the evenings? What's the centerpiece of conversation? Are you talking about somebody else? And are you talking negatively about someone else? And yet you find yourself the next evening around the table, and there it is again. And then the next evening, and there it is again. It's gossip. We, we say things, and, and, and a lot of times we don't even know what we're saying. But not only gossip, but flattery. Here's how gossip and flattery work. Because truthfully, they're, they're both disgusting. Gossip is saying behind a person's back what you would never say to his or her face. That's gossip. Flattery is saying to a person's face what you would never say behind his or her back. Flattery. And so people may tell you you're great. They'll tell you it to your face, but they'll never say that about you behind your back. Be careful about boasting and what other people say of you because it could just be pure flattery. And there's nothing pure about flattery. But not only that, then there's sarcasm. We can be very sarcastic with everything that we say. And listen, a little dose of sarcasm can be cute and funny every now and then. But when it's piled upon, it just gets old. Nobody likes to be made to feel stupid all the time. And that's what we can do with sarcasm. I remember being at a leadership conference down in Orlando, and we were in a shark aquarium, which I like sharks. That's cool. Shark and tornadoes. <laughs> that they made a movie about both is beside me. But anyway was there in the aquarium and they're pointing out different sharks and, and they're using the different sharks to describe different behaviors of people that you're gonna face in leadership. And you know, they're saying, there's the nurse shark. The nurse shark swims low to the ground. The, the nurse shark likes to bring people down. So beware of the nurse shark. They're always looking to bring someone down. And then they, they mentioned the mako shark. They said the mako shark, which happens to not be in this tank because it would kill everything in this tank. The mako shark comes and is one of the fastest predators in the water. And it comes and boom, it strikes and then it leaves. And you go, whoa, where'd that come from? What, what in the world? What just bit me? 
That's a mako shark. That's what a mako shark does. It sees you from a distance, comes at rapid speed, and boom, hits you with sarcasm, and then leaves. See, that's the sarcastic person. It's just a little jab here, a little jab there, always putting someone down, always in good fun, but, but make sure that it's really good fun because those words can create huge fires in a person's life. So with lying and boasting and gossip and flattery and sarcasm, this is just to name a few. He says, there's a world of unrighteousness in the tongue and set on fire by hell. How is this played out? Genesis 1 and 2, God spoke and it was good. Everything God speaks, it is good. But Genesis 3, in comes the serpent and he spoke and it was bad. Made things corrupt. Post Genesis 3, man's tongue is set on fire by hell. That's how it plays out. That's why we struggle with these tongues. Speaks of hell, which is in the Greek Gehenna. It's a transliteration of two Hebrew words that mean uh, Valley of Hinnom coming together. This valley just outside Jerusalem gained an evil reputation in the Old Testament in the intertestamental period. Pagan child sacrifices were carried out there as we see in Jeremiah 32, 35, and trash was often burned in it. It was a real place that people could see physically. And so Jesus used the word to refer to the place of ultimate condemnation. Douglas Moo says that the power of Satan himself, the chief citizen of hell, gives to the tongue its greatest destructive potential. It's been set on fire by hell. This is our natural tongue. Yeah, can we say good things to each other? Can we really mean it? Yes. But there are many times when we speak the words of hell and we get it naturally. Verse seven and eight, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison, which means this, we can never break in our tongues. We can never break in our tongues. It's not in us to do so, in and of ourselves. Verse seven, every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. I read this verse and I got to thinking, wow, James is saying this and, and he never even got to see Shamu at SeaWorld. He never got to see that. I mean, he never got to watch these dog shows that are on one of the major networks. Never, never saw a dog show. I think actually ESPN picked it up. I mean, that with playing cards or sports these days. And then he's never seen talking parrots. And yet he says, all beasts can be tamed. And yet he hadn't seen the full extent of it. But you know what he did see, what he was aware of? He was aware of a Colosseum. And he was aware that there were beasts in that Colosseum. That there were tigers and lions that had been tamed to maul Christians. Let loose upon Christians. Being trained to destroy and then back away. He was aware of this. And maybe this is what he had in mind. Those beasts can be tamed, but your tongue is worse. 
kind of let that sit in for a minute. What he's saying is the tongue is unruly. No human being can break it in of his own strength. It said that the tongue is enclosed by two rows of teeth and a mouth, teeth to cage in that deadly weapon and a mouth to close it in. And yet it still finds its way out. Ruled by a restless evil full of deadly poison. Isaiah 6, 5 says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Do you think Isaiah knew just how unclean he was before he saw the King? I don't think so. As we draw closer to King Jesus, as we draw closer to our Father, we are able to see just how wicked our tongues are just how wicked our intentions are to justify ourselves. And yet he is before the Lord and he is saying, whoa, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. You've heard it all. And here I am before you. So is it just that we have bad tongues or is it deeper than that? It's deeper than that. Jesus pointed this out in Matthew 15, 18 through 19. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. This past week in Washington, D.C., there was a young lady, 35 years of age, who was jogging down the street, getting some exercise. And a man comes up and stabs her multiple times. She finds her way into the restaurant and stumbles in and she points to the direction of her attacker and some people chase him down and catch him and but she later dies. What was the cause for this? No reason. No reason. He didn't know her. He just killed her. Where did it come from? The heart. It's there. It's there in you and you and you and you and you and you and all of us. It's right here. You say, no, 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 no. I don't like to think of myself like that. I would never do something like that. Maybe not that act, but there are many wicked things that you do in your life and that I've done in my life or I have thought through and you go, where did that come from? Who influenced me to be this way? Your heart. Our hearts are that wicked. We want to point and put it on someone else. We so want to point somebody and say, they made me this way. Playing softball in college, because I could no longer play baseball, pity party, but I'm playing softball in college, and I'm out there in every game, man. These guys are just cursing up a storm, and I'm hearing all of this, and I'm in Bible study of all places. I'm eating some chicken wings before Bible study starts, because who doesn't? And somebody throws a ball at me, and out comes from my mouth one of those words in Bible study. And my teacher was there too. And I was so embarrassed. Everybody laughed. They didn't know what to do. And I was telling my dad this story, thinking that maybe he'd laugh. Yeah, yes, yeah, and we've all said a word here or there. And he looked at me, he said, that's unacceptable. I was like, Dad, come on, man, just 
Seriously. He says, that's unacceptable. He says, Brian, I've coached for 30 plus years. I've heard the worst language. I have heard men dress down kids with their language worse than you've ever heard on a softball field. And he said, but yet not one time was that an excuse for me to say one of those words. You may hear that and think, oh, your dad was being self-righteous there, hyper-spiritual hemorrhage. No, he was giving me wisdom. He was saying, don't you put it on those guys on that softball field when really it came from your own heart. We don't like to think of ourselves as wicked. You may hear that and you think, I don't like that you called us wicked. The sad thing is this. I'm just going to tell you the truth. The sad thing is this. There are plenty of places you can go and you'll never hear that again. You can go worship on Sundays and you'll never hear that said again. You can go, but that still does not take away that it's true. It's true. We are wicked at our very core. And from this, we speak. That's what Jesus is pointing out. All of these things are deep in us. Not only do we speak them, but many times we do them. Which brings up number three. The unruly tongue speaks both blessings and curses. Verse nine, with it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brother, this or these things ought not to be so. Uh, will you underline that in your Bible if you feel that that's okay for you to mark in your Bibles? I think it is. Uh, underline that. Even if you have a pew Bible, just underline it for the next person, okay? Underline that, or if you take it home with you, you'll have it underlined, it's there. Underline, these things ought not to be so. If you're on an iPad, highlight it. Verse 11, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Why? Because it just naturally doesn't happen that way. The problem here is that we bless God with our tongues, but we bless out his creation. In the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And we think, well, you know, I worship God. There's nothing wrong with me giving it to this other person here because they deserve it, yet so do you. So he says these things ought not to be so, but why are they so? We've already discussed it. We've already discussed it. We, we said it's from the garden. That's why it's so. It ought not to be so, but it is so. It ought not to be so, so look to Christ. But it is so when you, when you look away from Christ. So may it not be so in your life this week, but it will be so if you don't look to Christ. Let me ask you this question as, as we're getting near the end here. What is your limit? And what is your point of weakness? What are your limits? What does it take for you just to boom, unleash the fury? Is it when you're playing sports when you're on the playing field in a competitive environment? Is that your limit? Is that, I mean, you just seem to be a different person when you're in that environment. Is that it? What about on family road trips? I mean, before you even get out of town, is that your struggle? What about the political arena? Man, 
listen, you're not going to be pleased what happens in the political arena most of the time. Be wise in how you respond to it. Church, you carry the name of Christ before you carry that name that's on Facebook. You carry the name of Christ before you carry that name that's on Twitter. Whatever at, whatever. You carry the name of Christ. Is that your weak point? Is that when you just unleash it all? Social media? You know what social media has done? It's been used for many good things, and I have to remind myself of that all the time. You know this, and many of you know me, I'm just not a big social media fan, and, and, and some of y'all look at me and you go, you're wrong for that. Others say, hey, you're cool for that, whatever. I mean, we're all friends. But be careful of your breaking points on social media, because once it's out there, it goes. It's public. So maybe you're just quick to respond to those ways because you feel safe behind your computer or safe behind your phone, but yet there are hundreds of others who are seeing this. Maybe it's early in the morning or it's late at night. Where's your breaking point? When you can just unleash the fury. I love this. I saw a pastor, Pastor Wayne Dorsett, who was here for 10 years, used to use this illustration, halt. Many times before you make major decisions, you should halt. And I, I think this could be used for before we speak, we should halt. Be slow to speak, right? When we're hungry, like right now, when you're angry, when you're lonely, when you're tired, maybe you'll remember this, halt. Because many times when we're hungry and we're ready to just get something to eat and somebody just hits us in the wrong way, boom, we unleash the fury. Or we're angry and we just cannot hold it in, boom, we unleash the fury. We're lonely, so we justify gossip. We justify it or we're tired and we just babble. What is your breaking point? You see, all this brokenness is due to the fall. Fresh water, salt water, fig trees, olives, grapevines, figs. It should not be. Christians, we must have a true heart change so that from our heart comes the wellspring of life as we see in Proverbs 4.23 so that we can encourage and we, we can edify and that we can exhort. That's what we should be known for not for our political opinions, but to encourage each other in Christ. A few verses to go along with this. Colossians 3, 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Can you, are you in this position today that you can do this? If you're not in a position where you can sing these psalms and hymns and, and spiritual songs, so I don't feel like singing. I don't want to sing. Halt. Ephesians 5.19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Does this mean we should just live out an everyday musical and just talk in song? No. It means that we should have glad hearts. You see, the heart must be engaged in order for true change to take place. So what about those who do me wrong? What am I to do with that? Good question. Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. 
bless and do not curse them. Isaiah 53, 7, speaking of Jesus, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before his shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. And as we saw earlier, 1 Peter 2, 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. What do you do when those people do you wrong? You continue entrusting yourself to him who judges justly. Trust God. Don't try to justify yourself with your own tongue. Speak truth and then be silent. Although our tongues are unruly, James's point in this whole book is that you indeed can be ruled by Christ. And when you're ruled by Christ, you will produce good fruit. Let us pray. Father, thank you for today, for this sober message, sobering message, Lord. Help us where we struggle with our tongues and the things that we say. May we not walk out of here just feeling guilt. If we do feel guilt right now, Lord, may we confess that to you and, and reveal where that guilt is coming from. Pinpoint it for us, Father, that we can repent and be healed and that we can edify and exhort your name and encourage others. Father, thank you for the church and bringing us together. May we be a people this week ruled by Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen.